1 Corinthians chapter 9. I hope you're there in your Bible. And I want to provide something of an on-ramp uh, for those of you who, are, who attend Simcoe side, because uh, we're making our way through a summer series, and, and this is new to you, so I'll just give you a bit of a bit of an on-ramp. So the summer series is entitled The Air We Breathe. And in this series, what we're doing is we're identifying some of the uh, subtle yet sinful patterns of thinking that exist in our culture, because obviously we're living in our culture. Jesus called us to be in the world, but not of the world, but we're in it. And so as we're in the culture, there are these ways of thinking that shape us perhaps sometimes more than we realize. And then of course, if it shapes us out there, then inevitably we're going to bring it with us in here. And when we bring it with us in here, really bad things can happen, right? So we need to identify those. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, he tells us, you know, not to be conformed by the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So we want to think rightly. We want to identify these patterns of thinking that are unhelpful. And so that's what we've been doing. And we started with tribalism. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's very much an us and them mentality in our culture. And we can bring that with us into our worship gatherings. And that's really gross. And that, that can't happen. So we saw that. We talked about the idolization of our feelings. Uh, we live in a culture where uh, the narrative really says, how I feel is who I am. And so we looked at God's word and we saw, no, that's, that's not true at all. I am who he says I am. And my feelings are going to go like this all the time. Last week, we talked about self-reliance. We live in a culture that says that you need to be able to do everything on your own. And if, if you need help, then something's wrong with you. But God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so that's where we've been. And today we're turning to a new target. And the target today is instant gratification instant gratification. We are, by and large, a microwave culture. We just expect things to come fast. We, we, if we want it, we want it now. We, why read a book when you could read a tweet, right? Unlike our ancestors who, who literally placed the seed in the ground and covered it and watered it and watched it grow, harvested it, and they then ate it, we open up Amazon, we click a button, and two days later, it's brought right to our door. Now, I'm not disparaging uh, these technological advancements. Truth be told, I find that to be very helpful, and I would be an awful gardener, I suspect. I'm not sure that I would have survived 200 years ago. I'm not disparaging those advancements, but what I am saying is that when you live in an instant world, you are naturally going to develop instant expectations. You just start to expect things to happen like this all the time. If my groceries can happen like this, then, then my marriage should be fixed like this. My holiness should, should become like this. And that's dangerous because when you develop those instant expectations, you forget how to wait. You forget how to endure. And those are Christian muscles that we, we need to run the Christian race. I mean, the day after you come out of the waters of baptism, you come to some frightening realizations. You realize that the Christian life is hard. We have some folks who were baptized over the last couple of years. Is the Christian life hard? Amen. Now, it's glorious. Don't get me wrong. It's incredible. But it's difficult. Old habits die hard. Growth in holiness is, is a slow process. The, the Christian life is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Jesus said to us, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So endurance, that thing that we are, we're at risk of losing in our instant culture, is actually the key to getting to the finish line. 
So that means as Christians, we need to be thoughtful about the way that this culture is shaping us. And the Apostle Paul was writing to a very different culture. He's writing to the Corinthians. But in the same way, he's writing to a people who are at risk of losing the prize because they're being lured away by quick fixes and, and instant gratification. And so this morning, we're going to look to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 24 to 27. Look there with me. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, Paul's not writing to our culture per se. He's writing to the Corinthian culture. And we want to know a little bit about what was happening so we can understand this. In Corinth, there were all kinds of temples to, to pagan gods. That, it was a city that had lots of temples. And in those temples, the, the idolatrous worship included lavish feasts of food that was sacrificed to these gods. And it included a lot of sexual promiscuity. And so in these temples, you've got these pleasure parties that are happening. All That's Corinth, right? Now, imagine this. You get saved as a Corinthian. And you weren't, you weren't a Jew before you got saved. You were a pagan who was saved in Corinth. Imagine you're walking through the Christian life and suddenly things get really tough. Suddenly you're in a dysfunctional church. Because when you read 1 Corinthians, you realize this was a dysfunctional church. So you're this new believer. You're looking around at the congregation. It's a mess. You're looking at the Christian life. It's hard. And then you look over at the pagan temple where you used to, you used to hang out. And you're seeing this pleasure party happening. And all of a sudden you start to think, that actually would be easier. I see my seat. I see the place where I used to sit. And you start to think, man, that would make me feel better right now, I think. That would alleviate some of the stress I'm under right now if I just went back to this place. Paul is writing to a church who's facing massive temptation to return to the place from which they've come. And he's, he's pulling them out. Now listen, we obviously don't have pagan temples uh, all around us here in the city. But I would argue that the temptation we're facing is really not all that different, is it? Boy, we've got, we've got some people here in this room who you were, you were pulled out of that pit. You were saved. You were brought to this new life. But that pit you were in, it was a, it was a pleasure party, wasn't it? Just like, just like the Corinthians. There were all kinds of things you were indulging in. And now you're on this Christian life, and it's, it's hard. And isn't it the truth that if you wanted to have a temporary relief from the stress you're under, you could have that right now. If you wanted a temporary indulgence that would make you feel better for... Five minutes, you could have it. You could slip away after a busy week and find a place to hide with your phone. You could take a little detour on your way home from work and go to the LCBO. You could go right back to those habits, those patterns, and you could find relief for a moment. Instant gratification. Well, so Paul is writing to a people who are facing the same temptation that we're facing then. It's not all that different. But those shortcuts don't lead to the finish line. And we know that now, don't we? We know that that instant gratification, it doesn't satisfy this thing that we're looking to satisfy. No, if you want to finish this race, you need to learn how to play the long game. So how do we do that? That's what our passage is about. How do we play the long game in a short-sighted world? 
That's the question we're going to turn to today. First, if you want to play the long game in a short-sighted world, then you need to fix your eyes on the prize. We're going to pull out three lessons from this passage. That's number one. Fix your eyes on the prize. And we see this in verses 24 to 25. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Why do they do it? Well, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Now, the city of Corinth hosted games. And uh, in these games, of course, there was, there was a prize. This isn't a very difficult text to explain. So I, this, I got my work is not going to be too tough today. They, they worked to receive a prize. Maybe you didn't know this, though. The crown that they received was made of withered celery. So now you know. So Paul's pointing to these games, and it's, his point's pretty clear. He's saying, look at how hard they're working. Like, look, they're laying it all in the line. They're exercising all this discipline. They are, they are working hard, doggedly. For what? For a, a crown of celery. His point, then, is if they can work that hard for a salad hat, then we can do this for the glory that is prepared for us. Because there is an imperishable crown waiting for us in heaven. Look at them, and now look at this life, and let's learn the lesson from these athletes and their celery hat. Let's go for it. Let's give it all that we've got. And now, maybe you're here and you're saying, well, it doesn't seem very sanctified to be motivated by a reward, right? I, I, I don't do this Christian life because I'm motivated by a reward. I don't need any of that. Well, that's great for you. I do. Like, I need motivation. When the waves of suffering are crashing over my head again and again, I need to know there's glory on the other side. Right? When, I'm, when I'm wrestling through this Christian life and I am, it feels like I'm losing things and losing things and I can't quite see the light, I need to know there's glory on the other side. When I'm at that funeral and I'm confronted with the grave, I need to know there's glory on the other side. I need that. And Jesus knows that people like me need that because he wasn't afraid of using the promise of reward to motivate us and to spur us on. So if you, if you would look in your Bible, you don't need to turn there now, but you're welcome to. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus addresses these seven churches. And the seven churches he addresses represent the church, the global church. And at the end of each of his addresses, he, he challenges them on some things, he encourages them in some things, but he always lands with this promise of reward. Seven different rewards he lists. In my first manuscript, I listed every single one of them. But that was taking too long. So I'm just going to skip right to the last one. This is just one example. He says to them, after challenging this church, he says, the one who conquers, that is the one who endures to the end, the Christian who runs the race, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus says, church, like... You've got some stuff ahead. You keep doing this. You need to work on this. But let me just remind you of something. There is a throne waiting for you. There's a th- you're going to reign. Are they persecuting you in your city? It's costing you everything to follow me in this temporary life. There is a, an eternal throne in heaven with your name on it. You can do this. Press through to the end, Jesus says. Think about that next time you're tempted to throw it all away for a temporary shot of pleasure. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that one of the primary ways that the enemy leads us off of this path that leads to life, one of the primary ways that he does it is that he promises us, he lures us with these lesser rewards. 
That's what he's doing. He's just, in our, especially in our instant culture. Now, he's always done this. I was thinking back to Jacob and Esau, right? Remember Esau sells his birthright for what? His red stew. So this is a human problem. It's not just an Aurelia problem. But I'd say it's heightened in Aurelia, living in the culture we live in. And, and the evil one, he's just, he's tempting you. You're walking on the straight and narrow path. You know how the horses have got those blinders on? You know, we need those. Because if you look over this way, he's just over here and he's like, hey, hey, log in your phone over here. Look at this. This is going to make you feel better. Or, or, hey, take this, take this shortcut. Cut the corners over at work. Be dishonest. Or, hey, hey, you know, forget that marriage. I got a happier place for you over here. He's, he's just luring us off of the path and people settle. People settle. It's like, it's like you're in line and you're about to take your seat at the keg at this, for this big feast. And then somebody's like, hey, if you give me your place in line, you can have this moldy breadcrumb that I found. And we're like, I'm pretty hungry. Maybe I should. Don't, don't make the trade. Don't make the trade. But that's what the devil's doing. He's just dressed up the moldy breadcrumb. He convinces us, no, this is pretty impressive. It's not. It will not satisfy you. And church, far above the rewards waiting for us in heaven is the person waiting for us in heaven. He's the reward. You know, what does it look like? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, sounds like you're saying that as I go through my life and I face all these temptations, I need to try and conjure up some vision of a throne in heaven and I'm trying to picture heaven, but I can't, my, my brain can't even go there and, and that's supposed to help me through. Listen, what, the reward that we are looking forward to, of course, it includes the throne, it includes all of that, but the, the greatest reward is that we will be with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is clear about that when he writes to the Philippians. Remember, he writes this one from prison. So he's in prison, and he writes to them, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. That's the prize. See, if you want to play the long game, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Have you seen him? If I could just challenge you today. Do you know Jesus? Isn't it true that he... The joy that he offers to you is greater than any joy that this world has to offer. It's a, it's a deep joy. It's not tainted by my lusts and my sin. It's this joy that hits me right at the core of who I am as a human being. Isn't it true that the satisfaction that Jesus offers to you is a satisfaction that runs deeper? What in this world have you ever turned to that was actually able to keep its promise for, for satisfaction? Meaning, the world is full of these empty promises, right? And I'm, I'm talking to the Christians. I'm talk, maybe you're here, you're not a Christian. I'm talking to you too. What in your life has ever kept its promise when it says this will make you satisfied? Did your career keep that promise? Did the, did, did the toys that you spent all your money on, did that, that big house that you purchased, your, that pride and prestige in your workplace, any of those things, did they ever actually satisfy that need in your soul that they promised you that they would? Never. You know who does? Jesus does. And if you've tasted that, you know there's nothing like it. Richard Baxter asks, what are these things you set so much by as to prefer them before Christ and the saving of your soul? Have you found a better friend, 
a greater and a surer happiness than this? So brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. If you want to run this race, you look to Jesus. That's the secret. You fix your eyes on the prize, and the prize is him. See the king of heaven who stepped down from his throne into our suffering, and he endured a suffering that that would make all of our suffering pale in comparison. If we accumulated all of the suffering in this room and tried to compare it to what Jesus endured for us, it would be like a, a drop in the ocean. Bore the sin of the world, all of our grief, the, the judgment of God poured on Christ at the cross, uh, and he, he lived this homeless life. He says, the foxes have holes. I, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Betrayed by the people who loved him physically abused and tormented, sleepless when he's tired and trying to get away. Crowds come to him and say, Jesus, I need more from you. You ever, I mean, as a parent, have you felt that? You're about to sit down and your kids are like, I need more from you. And you're like, I'm empty and I love you a lot, but I've got nothing left for you. Jesus, he's physically exhausted and these crowds of strangers come to him and say, we need more from you. And Jesus says, okay. Like, he is unlike anyone or anything else in this world. Do you see him? And he died on the cross so that rebels like you and me could be children of God. He died on the cross so that we could have that imperishable crown. It's right there for us. It's in the hands of Jesus, our Savior. And he says, come right here. It's yours. Fix your eyes on the prize. If you're going to play the long game, you need that. That's the first thing we learn in this passage. Second, if you want to play the long game in a short-sighted world, You need to resolve to pay the price. We see this in verses 25 to 27. He writes, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline myself and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You pay the price. Now, there's a a huge surge of sport documentaries on Netflix. I don't know if you've noticed that. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what do you watch, like, when you're watching TV? And I I confess, it's sports documentaries have got me. Um, I just find it fascinating. If I have a chance to find out Michael Jordan's workout routine and and how driven he was, I'm in. If I could find out and hear the background story about Kobe Bryant's 4 a.m. workout, I just, that stuff's compelling to me. Because I'm compelled by these people who lay it all on the line to achieve their goal. And that's not unique to me, because Paul's seeing the same thing in Corinth. And he's pointing at these athletes, and he's saying, you all see it. Like, you all see it. These, these guys don't eat the food that we eat, do they? And they're not out late like we are. Their whole entire life is shaped by this one ambition, to receive the salad hat. That's, that's, their whole life is shaped by that that they would win the race. And so he's pointing to them, and then he points to himself, and he says, so I'm, so I'm after it, not the hat. I'm, I'm after this imperishable crown. He says, and I'm not running aimlessly. Like, I've, I've set my target. I'm going towards that target. I'm not boxing the air. I'm not swinging around and missing. I'm aiming for a target. Paul says, I'm exercising this self-discipline. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to follow his lead, we've got to resolve to pay the price. Pause. Now, if if the Apostle Paul hadn't written that, if that wasn't written in the New Testament, then we would all have this little legalism bell going off in our head, wouldn't we? It's like, wait a second, wait a second. That whole paragraph sounded an awful lot like work. And I don't know if you've heard the gospel, but Jesus did the work, 
And now we look to Jesus, we rest in Jesus. You're talking, you're making it sound like we're going to have to actually work as Christians. I don't know if the Apostle Paul's actually heard the gospel. He has. He has heard the gospel. But the gospel that has gripped the Apostle Paul's heart and that he's given his life to proclaiming in the world is a gospel that is richer and deeper than what we sometimes settle for when we talk about the gospel. See, the gospel that Paul preached was a gospel that, that taught us that Jesus didn't only die for the forgiveness of our sins, though he, he did, hallelujah, but that Jesus also died for our holiness. Did you know that? Jesus died, one of the reasons, so that you and I could become who we were made to be. Jesus died so that you and I could receive the Holy Spirit, who actually gives us the power to obey. Jesus died so that you and I could be set free from the bondage of sin, which is what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So listen carefully. Through Jesus' death, the penalty of sin is canceled. Amen? We believe that. The penalty of sin is canceled. We, we sing that. We preach that. We pray that. We love that. It's true. But there's a second half to this statement that I worry that we've forgotten. Through Jesus' death, the penalty of sin is canceled and the power of sin is broken. Did you know that part? That second half, I think, is sometimes neglected. Through Jesus' death, the penalty is canceled and the power is broken. Our grandparents knew this. They would sing this all the time. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. That's what that means. We're saying he's broken the power of sin. I wonder if we still believe that. I confess, and I just trust that it's the providence of God. He, the Lord allowed me, permitted me to fall into this pit of despair this week for reasons I can't disclose, but there were just, it felt like I, I witnessed loss after loss after loss after loss, and I came to a point where I really asked myself, do I believe this? Do I actually believe that Jesus gives us the power to obey? Because I, I feel like all of the evidence suggests to me that it's just, it's just impossible, that it's just, some people are just in too deep, and it's just, it's just impossible. It's righteousness. Right. That's right. It's right. He changes us. See, as we preach this gospel in the city of Aurelia, do we actually believe, when we, when we preach to an addict, do we believe that Jesus died on the cross so that they could be forgiven for their sins, but also so that they could have power to be free from their addiction? Amen. Do we believe that when we're preaching to our brothers and sisters and they're in a tricky marriage, that the gospel actually has the power to help you to forgive your spouse and to restore a marriage? Do we believe that the gospel, as we preach it, it actually has the power to help you to put to death the lust you've been battling with for a lifetime or the anger you've been battling with for a lifetime or the resentment or the, the apathy or the whatever it is, this sin that's been lingering in your life? Do we believe that the gospel actually comes with the power to to put that to death because the apostle Paul believed it and I pray that we would believe it oh God help our unbelief that we would preach to our kids to our city this gospel to ourselves that he can change us and we're saved by grace alone praise God we are but the grace that saves us is what it's never alone 
Real saving grace comes with a real transformed life. That's the message. And so let's apply that. Are you saved this morning? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Has he paid for your sin on that cross? Has he filled you with the spirit? Okay, well, then can I challenge you? Let's resolve to run this race with all we've got. Let's follow Paul's example. That's what he's holding himself up as an example. And he says, listen, I'm not running in circles. I'm not running aimlessly. So let me ask you, what's your target, Christian? What are you aiming for? Let's get specific. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've just constantly, you've been like, I want to actually read my Bible. I think I should be a person who reads my Bible. But it's just never, it's never gotten any traction. Can I challenge you? Don't run aimlessly. Set a target. Like, what do you need to do to make that change? By the grace of God, with the help of his spirit. What do you need to, do you need to get a reading plan? Maybe today, do you need to ask somebody today? Like, give me something that I can, I can track with. Do you need an accountability partner? Maybe. Somebody, somebody you can say, hey, I need you to ask me next week how I'm doing. Like, what is, do you need to like, do you need to put it in your, your schedule and carve out some time so that do you need to wake up 15 minutes earlier? Maybe like what, don't run aimlessly. Or maybe it's prayer. And maybe you're like, ah, man, I, I should pray. I know I'm, I know Christians are supposed to pray and I should pray, but I just always feel so far from it. It just never happens. Don't run aimlessly. Like what, what do you need to do today to make progress towards that end? Like, do you, maybe you need to join a prayer group. Be around people who've, who have cultivated a prayer life and, and develop that relationship. Maybe you need to buy a prayer journal so that you can be tracking things along. Or you need to put it in your calendar. So you got a little reminder coming up on your phone. Oh, yeah, this is the, I've got a 15-minute block here. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray. I, I don't know. But don't run aimlessly. Like, set a target. And don't, don't beat the air. He uses that analogy from boxing. Like I'm, I'm not, when I'm swinging at my opponent, I'm not just like swinging Hail Marys and, and hoping that I land something. He's like, I'm fixing it on a target. So what's the target? I'm going to hazard a guess that there are some people in this room and the target is lust. This is a sin that you've been battling for a long time. I want to challenge you today. Don't swing at the air. Like swing at that target. What will it take for you to grow in holiness in your pursuit of, of sexual purity. Maybe, maybe you need to get a new phone. Maybe you need to confess that sin to somebody, bring it out of the dark and into the light. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you need an accountability partner. Maybe start, make it like swing at the target, like beat that thing down by the grace of God. Or maybe you're here and, and that sin is apathy. And maybe you're here today and you're just like, I'll be honest with you, I don't really, I hear you saying all this, but I just don't care. Like, there was a time in my life as a Christian when I cared, but I just, I don't really, I just don't really care. That's sin. That's got to go. So aim at that target. Like, maybe, pray about it. Like, maybe there's some sin in your life that's been lingering that has, that has really dampened your spiritual life. Something that is just creating this obstacle, this barrier. Or maybe there's some scripture you need to memorize, you need to meditate on. Or, or who knows, like maybe there's, there's somebody that you could come alongside and say, I need you to be praying for me for my spiritual life to grow. Those are just some examples. But Paul is telling us, hey, like resolve to pay the price. Go for it. You got one life. Live it for him. Don't miss out. You give it all that you've got. There's a crown waiting for us. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If I could encourage you, because maybe you're here and you're like, oh man, I can think of 20 things. I'm such a loser. The, the, the devil accuses us, right? So that's not, the Holy Spirit is not whispering in your ear, you're a loser. That's the evil one. He accuses. 
but Jesus has come to, that we would have life and have life to the full. So here, well, let me encourage you today. Think of it right now, what a difference it would make if you could just focus on that one thing. Think about from now until the, the beginning of the new year, January 1st. Imagine what a difference it would make in your life if you could just focus on, I'm going to be, between now and then, I'm going to try to become a person who regularly reads my Bible. I got a lot of stuff that needs to change, but I, that's a change that I want to give myself to. If you focus on that one thing and you give yourself wholeheartedly to that, that is going to change your life. You know, sometimes we try to do so much at once and then we just fall apart discouraged and lie down on the floor. I can't do it, God. Listen, life is long. Run it like it's a marathon. Focus on that one thing. Is it, is it the lust? Imagine if you just said from here until January 1st, I am going to develop a plan where I can get this sin that's been running rampant in my heart and my mind, where I can try to get this in control with the help of the Spirit. Imagine you did that. And on January 1st, suddenly this sin that was out of control is, is, is restrained and contained. That's, that's going to change your life. That's going to change your kids' lives, your grandchildren's lives. I'm not even kidding. What, it, it is a game changer. And the devil would have us underestimate the impact of those small acts of self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So... We fix our eyes on the prize and we resolve to pay the price. And then thirdly and finally, if we want to play the long game in a short-sighted world, we need to remember what's at stake. See, Paul lands on a sobering note, and so, so too will we. Verse 27, he says this, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, that's a profound verse. Remember, remember who wrote that? That was the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Apostle Paul says, I, I'm going to give this all I got because it would be a shame if after I've gone and I've preached to all of these cities and gone all across this Mediterranean world, if I myself found myself missing out on the prize. And you think, Paul, what are you, what are you saying? Are you, are you crazy? If anybody has reason to rest on their laurels, it's you, Paul. Like, first of all, you know the gospel, Paul. You know that Jesus died for your sin. You know that there's a place for you because of what Jesus accomplished. And then second, Paul, I mean, you have worked hard. Nobody could say that you've been lazy, Paul. Like, you've you planted churches here and there and everywhere, and the shipwrecks and the beatings and the scourgings and the prison. Like, Paul, you, if anybody could say, hey, I, I'm going to retire. I'm going to soak up some rays. I'm going to spend the rest of my time on earth just kind of pursuing leisure and getting, taking it easy and relaxing. You are the guy. You could do that, Paul. But he says, no, I, what a shame it would be if after all this time I wound up disqualifying myself and missing out altogether on the prize. One of the great Puritan preachers, George Swinnick, once said similarly, it is terrible to fall into hell from the pew, but how dreadful it is to fall into hell from the pulpit. Does not my heart tremble to think that it is possible for me? Now, I would imagine if you're thinking your systematic theology is kicking in and you're starting to wonder now, wait, wait a second, what are you saying? Are you, is Paul saying here that, we could, that we're going to lose our salvation? Because didn't Paul also say at Romans 8 that those whom, he, those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified? And that was past tense, meaning like, it's done. Don't we sing as a church, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Isn't that true? Of course, that is true. So, that's, so he's not saying that. What is he saying then? Well, our, 
in our theological categories in our brain, we need to have a place for a truth like this. Because Paul is saying that some people who start well, some people who, who think that they're in, find out at the end of the race that they're not in at all. Not everyone who starts well finishes well. And even Paul could say, I want to make sure that's not me. I want to make sure that I'm not one of those who is, who is self-deceived and who starts the race well, but then falls off at the finish line. Now, maybe you're saying, I'm not sure that Paul's saying that in this passage. You, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Okay, well, don't take my word for it. Let's look at, look at the Bible. So he just said that, right? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What does he go on to say? Let's read chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. For, he goes on to say, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Do you see what he's saying? He's talking about the Israelites, their exodus. And he uses this language. He's like, don't you remember? Like, I want you to connect the dots here. I just talked about disqualifying myself from the prize, and you're not so sure about this. And then he leans in and he says, don't you remember our history? Remember when they were led through the Red Sea? And, And all of them were eating that manna from heaven. All of them were drinking from the rock. God was, all of them were partakers of that. And they felt confident. And yet most of them didn't actually make it into the promised land. Most of them fell away and died in the wilderness. And he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us. What's he, he uses language there um, that he's, he's trying to evoke, trying to help us to connect the dots. So he talks about they were like baptized into Moses. He talks about how they were all eating the spiritual food, drinking the spiritual drink. He's clearly trying to connect the dots between what happened there and the believer who's been baptized, who's partaking of the Lord's Supper and the bread and the, and the wine. And, and, and they're saying, you know, well, I've, I've been baptized and I drink, the, I drink the wine, I eat the bread, and so therefore I'm fine, right? Paul, relax. I'm, take it easy, man. And Paul's saying, oh, man, don't you know why God recorded that story for us in the Bible? It's so that we would learn. He recorded that for us as a warning that not everyone who starts the race well finishes the race. Man, that's an important warning for us. They turn to the temporary pleasures of the world. They long for the old comforts of their slavery in Egypt, and they missed out, which is why Paul wrote, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I, um, my favorite professor I ever had in my academic career was Dr. Thompson. I've mentioned him before uh, at Redeemer. Uh, We called him affectionately Dougie T. Never to his face or he'd kill us. Dr. Thompson was a very serious man. And he, what, what I loved about him so much was that Dr. Thompson was more committed to my uh, lifelong success than he was to my temporary comfort. And so he was willing to say things to me in the temporary that would be deflating, discouraging, challenging. He would tell me the stuff I needed to hear but did not want to hear. Three times that man made me cry. He only saw it once, but three times he brought me to tears where I was at the end of myself. But I'll tell you what, nobody changed my life more than Dr. Thompson in my career. 
because he didn't care about puffing me up and making me feel good. He cared about getting me to where I was aiming to go. He's like, that's your finish line? Well, you got some stuff that's got to change. Boom, and then he lays it on because he's not trying to make me like him. He's trying to help me to get there. That's a good teacher. I had a lot of bad teachers, if I'm being honest. But I had a good teacher. And the Apostle Paul, that's what he's doing here. He's a good teacher. Now, there are some times when the Apostle Paul says something that is like the, it's like the warmest hug. I love preaching on those passages too, right? Sometimes you just come in and Paul just like lays out this thing. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you're like, yes, oh, praise God. And that's true. That is absolutely true. This passage is a tough one. This is, this is less like a hug and more like a, a wake-up call. And he's given this wake-up call because he loves these people. He's saying, listen, you guys are, you're playing with sin, church. You're stunted in your growth. You haven't grown at all. You're settling for short-term rewards, instant gratification. And if you keep going down this road, Paul is saying, you're going to miss out on the prize altogether. Just like the Israelites who were led through all of those wonders, and yet they never got into the promised land. This is it. You're, you're following the same pattern that your father's put before you. You're going to miss it. And so what does he do as a good teacher, as a, as a loving pastor? He leans in, he rattles the cage, and he says, come on, come on, wake up. Like, we can do this. We can do this. We can, there's glory right there. Don't miss it, church. And maybe there's someone here today who needs that same reminder. And so I'm going to risk offending you today because I love you, and I don't want you to miss out on the prize. If Jesus has become small in your life, if, if your thoughts, your life, your energy, your enthusiasm is more stirred up by, by, by the toys or, or, the, or the money or, or the comforts or the, the leisure or the rest, or if, there's, if the, all these other things have choked out your love for Jesus such that you find yourself rarely thinking about Jesus at all, you, you've not, you're not interested in reading your Bible. You're not interested in going to church. You've got all these things that you love. Man, you're, you're at risk of falling off the road that leads to life. You're at risk of, of missing out on the prize that you've been striving for. If you haven't grown, I think if you haven't grown in the last five years of your Christian's life, think of yourself five years ago and think of yourself now. Are you, is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in you? That the Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. That the, the sins that you were battling with five years ago, by the grace of God, they're, they're getting less and less. And he's helping you to move on to new things. And your love for him is growing. If you're, if you're not seeing growth, if you're seeing stagnance or, or maybe regression, hear this warning. You're at risk of, of missing out on the prize. You need to look soberly at that evidence that's in front of you. If you're playing with sin... If there's, if there's stuff in your life and you know you need to let it go, but you're like apathetic, like, well, you know what? It is what it is. His grace is sufficient, so I'm going to keep playing with my sin. I'm going to keep toying with this stuff. I'm, I'm gonna, this is just who I am. If, you're, if that's your language, this is who I am. Man, you're at risk of losing out on the prize. And I would say, along with the Apostle Paul here, learn the lesson from those who went before us. Learn the lesson from the, the silly athletes giving their lives for what? A, a gold medal or a, or a trophy or a salad hat. Like, look at how much they're investing in those things. And here, this, there's life everlasting for you right here. Don't miss it. You've already given half your life to this, and you would, you would bow out now? You're, some of you, are, maybe you're nine-tenths of the way there. You're going to bow out now? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. 
Now, Paul was preaching this message to himself. One of the things I love about Paul, this isn't Paul up elevated up on a stage like me. I'm like, do this better. Paul says, he says, this is what I am doing, lest I miss out on the prize. And, and church, I got to tell you, as Pastor Levi, this is what I'm doing, lest I miss out on the prize. I also need to do the heart check, the gut check, saying, what matters to me? What am I giving myself to? But if I could just say, some of you I know are, are just wiped. Some of you have just given, have been given everything. And you must be on the cusp where you're just, you're beginning to wonder, what is it all for? He doesn't call us to suffering for suffering's sake. Remember what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I think. He says, for these, these light and momentary afflictions are, what are they doing? Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so the enemy's over there and he's got the white flag and he's like, take this, wave this. Then he's dangling some little comforts. Just, come, come over here and soothe yourself with these things and you'll feel better. Don't do it. Don't settle. You've come so far. All of us here in this room have sad stories about people that we started the race with. People that we worship next to on Sunday morning. We were singing together. Maybe we were baptized on the same Sunday. And we can point to those who they were running the race with us and then one day they were gone. And we could, we could spend the rest of the afternoon with sad stories, couldn't we? Now, none of them started the race thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for five years, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Nobody ever said that at the start of the race. They were just as enthusiastic as we were, weren't they? Just as fired up for the Lord as we were. They were just as all in. Hands were just as high. Voices were just as loud. What happened? It's just, just a slow, steady pattern of settling for less. A slow, steady pattern of taking the eyes off the prize and looking at the things of the world, which is why Jesus said, man, it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's temptations all over. And they traded the eternal feast of heaven for a temporary moldy breadcrumb from the world. Don't let that be you. Don't quit the race. Can I encourage you this morning? Maybe you're here and you're just like overwhelmed by temptation and you're feeling like, man, I, but I can't do it, Pastor. You don't understand. I can't do it. Can I just tell you something? Yes, you can. By the grace of God, yes, you can. That's the gospel that we see in the word of God. That's the gospel we believe. You can do this. Well, my marriage is just not. Yes, you can. But this addiction, I've just, it's been like my whole life. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because Jesus is in you. If you, have, if you have put your trust in him and you've surrendered your life to him and you've repented of sin, Jesus is in you and you have died to sin with Christ on that cross. Yes, you can move forward. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so by the grace of God, lean in with all that you have and just watch as you lean in with all that you have, just watch as he mobilizes you. I've gone too long. I'm done. But this is an analogy from the past. Um, I remember... During COVID, I started to exercise, and Matt Kohler, who's our staff deacon, he was helping me exercise. Some of you have heard this. Bear with me. And he was teaching me how to, how to do this stuff. And so he's teaching me how to do the bench press. And he's trying to get me going. And he's up, you know, so he's got the bar. And then eventually he's like, well, let's try putting a pillow on each side. And I'm like, I can't do it, Matt. He's like, well, just try. And, so, and I would push. And every once in a while, though, it'd be too much. And it would come back down. But then Matt would reach down with his strong hands, and he would lift up the bar. And it was such a great relief to see his hands lifting. But he was a good trainer. And so when I saw those hands, sometimes because I'm lazy, I would just be like, oh, good. He's going to do it. And then what he would do is he would drop it. 
and so all of a sudden it's like, so I'm pushing and it's going up and I'm like, oh good. And then the bird come back down and because he's like, no, you need to, you need to push. You need to give it everything that you have and I will supply what you're lacking, but you need to lean in. And that's, that's what God does with us. So you're like, man, I just, this addiction is kicking my rear end. You know, I, I can't, it's just not working. I just don't think I got anything left in the tank. Well, what do you have in the tank? Yeah, I got these five loaves and this two fists. This is all I got. You give that to Jesus. You just watch what he does. But it, as you lean in, he supplies what you lack. And it's when we come to the point where we're just like, well, forget it. You can do it for me or it's not going to happen. Well, that's when the bar just sits on our chest. That's when we find ourselves like living in these sins. So Press. Press with all that you've got. Press and watch what he does. We're living in a short-sighted world, but brothers and sisters, we're called to play the long game. So by the grace of God, let's do it. Let's run like we believe that there is glory on the other side of these trials because brothers and sisters, there is. There is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we love you. And we confess we need you more than we could ever understand. God, we need you. We need you to stir up in us faith to believe impossible things. We need you to fill us with your spirit that we could overcome besetting things that have been with us for a lifetime. Things that, things that we inherited from our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers. And everything around us says that this chain will never be broken. But you break the chains, God. I pray that you would set us free today. God, I pray for a release today for captives. And Jesus, you do that. I pray for it. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people of prayer who seek you and seek hard after you. And, and Lord, that we wouldn't try to do this stuff in our own strength because that's legalism. But Lord, that we would recognize that we've come to the end of ourselves and we would cry out to you for help because you delight to answer that prayer. Give us our daily bread. God, would you give us our daily bread, the, the strength that we need to battle this sin today. Lord, help us to get to the finish line, that we'd put our head on the pillow tonight and know that we're, we're a step further today than we were when we woke up. And then Lord, help us to repeat and then help us to repeat slow and steady as we seek the prize, as we look forward to the day when we will be with you, Lord Jesus, in glory. Oh, help us. Who is sufficient for these things? None of us. And yet, by the grace of God, you are going to work miracles in us. We believe that. I pray that we would go out into this city today and in the weeks and months and years to come. And Lord, that we would be in our, in our lives monuments of mercy the testimonies of the power of God in a person's life. God, that you've made us to be that. Living sacrifices, Romans 12 says. Going about in the world. Uh, elsewhere you said, we're like the fragrance and aroma of Christ. That's what we want. So Lord, we ask for your help and we believe that you delight to answer prayers like this. So help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Worship team, would you lead us?